This is The Exchange, humanizing commerce through post-purchase connection. One of my favorite customer retention topics is community building. But whenever I say that, someone will immediately ask me how to follow up with one of two questions. What is community and how do I build one? And then I usually tell them to pick up the book Fanocracy by David Meerman Scott because he explains the concepts more elegantly than I ever could. And luckily for everyone listening, we have David joining us today to talk all about Fanocracy. So welcome to the show, David. Hey, Alex. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Oh, I'm super excited to have you here. Your book is one that I find myself recommending all the time, especially to e-commerce brands. And I think the first thing that's going to come out of every listener's mouth is, what is fanocracy? Um, Yeah, well, first of all, thank you many times for recommending the book many times. I appreciate it. Um, Fanocracy is the idea of a genuine human connection between um, uh, a company uh, and the people who do business with that company. And uh, it's, it's a very different way of doing business than simply selling products and services. Um, and it get, it, the heart of it, um, the heart of the idea is that we humans are all hardwired in our brains, goes back um, thousands and thousands of years to want to be part of a tribe of like-minded people. So those organizations who can build a tribe of people who feel comfortable with one another, that's the ultimate, that's a fanocracy. That's when um, the idea of human connection is way more important than just the products and services. I love that. And it, it really comes down to building emotional connections more than just transactional connections when you're doing business. Oh yeah, totally. And obviously you saw a huge opportunity here because you wrote an entire book about it. Hmm. Where did this idea come from, this idea of fanocracy and building a tribe? What I was seeing over the last four or five years was that digital marketing had changed a lot in the ways that people were doing it and gone from being helpful and interesting and educating and informing to being much more in your face, much more focused on spending money on ads rather than just creating great content. And I think the worst part of it, uh, the worst part of it are that the social networks, particularly Facebook, have tweaked their algorithms such that the social networks peddle in polarization. And I believe that the Facebook algorithm is the most destructive thing ever invented. Um, It's been brutal over the last few years. So I was talking to my daughter, Reiko. She's now 28, but when we first started this um, project, she was, I think she was 21 or 22. And I said, you know, geez, the social networks are out of control. And that was like five, six years ago. It's even worse now. The social networks, the social networks are out of control. Um, And while it used to be, you know, fun to jump on social networks, it's it's not really feeling that way anymore. And I had actually stopped using Facebook at that point. I didn't delete my account, but I stopped using it. Um, and she agreed with me. And then we started to talk about the things that we're a fan of. And I specifically talked about live music. I've been to 
um, uh, 804 as of now live concerts, and I've got all sorts of oh wow con- concert stuff going on in my um, house. And been to, I've been to 75 Grateful Dead concerts. They're probably my favorite band. And um, and so Reiko then said, well, yeah, you know, I'm really into K-pop, and I'm really into uh, Harry Potter. And she not only has read every Harry Potter book and seen every movie, but wrote an 85,000-word alternative ending to the Harry Potter series where Draco Malfoy is a spy for the Order of the Phoenix. And she put that on a fan fiction site. It's been downloaded thousands and thousands of times and commented on hundreds of times. So what we agreed on is that we're so interested together in this idea of fandom. So on one hand, the social networks are peddling in in, um, polarization and have become utterly destructive, especially Facebook. But on the other hand, we're digging deeper. And I talked with a whole bunch of my friends and Reiko talked with her friends. All of us were digging deeper into the things that we love. Uh, Many, many, many people have approached us and told us, similar to what you've said, that this idea of fandom is is something that's super interesting in this world of, of increased polarization. Yeah, it's interesting. You're talking about live music, Harry Potter. I don't know if you can see some of the posters in my room. I'm a big Disney Disney World fan, so nice. I, I, I'm I'm subscribing to a fandom of something else. And it's really interesting when we start to think about this, right? Like the polarization of Facebook and feeding that same type of content. It can be destructive, but then we get these groups of people that are coming together and creating fandoms around different things. And I think what I would love to go into more detail on today is how can how can businesses start to operate and harness that fandom like if if a if a brand's listening today like why should they care about building fanocracy around their brand so what's really interesting is that um if you can develop a tribe of like-minded people um it is just the best thing for an ongoing business to use as the way that they do business um and the, one of the main main reasons for that is that, and we Reiko and I learned this as we were doing our research, because we spoke with a bunch of neuroscientists, uh, and we wanted to know, when we spoke with these neuroscientists, what's actually going on in our brain when we become a fan of something. And it turns out that all of us are hardwired to want to be part of a tribe of like-minded people. It's in our DNA. We want to be part of a tribe of like-minded people. It goes back thousands of years. When you're with your tribe, you're safe and comfortable. You know, if you're running around the woods thousands of years ago or the savanna in Africa or, you know, the plains of the United States, um, of course, it wasn't the United States then, um, you know, and and, and you're with your tribe of people, you're safe. If you're all by yourself, you're vulnerable. And if you encounter other humans, you feel vulnerable. That's why if you walk into a party um, and you know your friends are there, or you walk into a bar and your friends are there, you feel great, you feel safe and comfortable, you're with your tribe. But if you walk into a crowded elevator, you can feel uncomfortable, same reason. So those organizations who can figure out ways to build a tribe, to create ways for people to connect becomes very, very interesting when it comes as a form of of marketing, as a form of of doing business. It's it's a human-centric form of doing business. And it's interesting that, um, that people truly do 
come to life when they see, they recognize somebody else who's part of their tribe. But it's also interesting that in some ways, you don't even have to be part of that same tribe because you can recognize the fact that someone is passionate. So you don't have to love the Grateful Dead to know that for me and my passion that that's interesting, nor do I have to love Disney um, to know that your passion is interesting. Um, and you know, Ray, uh, an update on Reiko um, since um, uh, since the the year that the since the book has come out is she's now a, a full time emergency room doctor at Boston Medical Center. And so, how do you develop fans of a hospital? And and most people would say you can't. Well, you you give you know you give good you you give good doctoring. You make people well. Well, yeah, but I see that as table stakes. It's the, it's the humanity of it. It's the human connection between doctor and patient or between staff and patient or between nurse and patient. And what Reiko has been doing, which is super interesting, is putting little totems um, on her, her personal protective equipment to show her humanity, to show the tribes that she's a part of to the patients that she's um, working with. So she'll, sometimes she'll wear a mask that has Boston Bruins logo, logo on it. Um, sometimes over the top of everything else, she'll wear a t-shirt with a, a logo of, of something she loves. She has a Black Lives Matter pin that she wears. She has a rainbow, LGBTQ rainbow pin that she wears. And, um, and so these things give her some humanity when she walks into the patient's room without any humanity. So, um, you know, what I would recommend for anybody who's listening in, um, you know, you're going to say, well, I'm not a doctor, I don't work at a hospital, and I don't love the Grateful Dead, but you can still create humanity no matter what business you're in. You can still um, create a tribe of like-minded people. You can still do business one person to another person in a way that, people can relate to you. Yeah. And even in the hospital example, when your face is covered, you can't see who this is. Like a lot of the people who are subscribing to this show, they run e-com businesses. So they're behind a screen anyway. They don't get that close proximity to people. They're separated by a screen. Their goods are being moved via boxes on air, air carriers and trucks and getting to their end consumer. So I think a lot of it actually still holds true with finding ways where you can add per like your own personality and who you are and what you stand for into your website, into your marketing and into everything you do. And I think one of the most important things you said there is just like the humanity of it. And in David's book, he talks about nine steps to create fanocracy. And there's a couple that I was hoping we could pull out and talk about a bit further. And the one that really speaks to me is listen to rehumanize. I feel like way too often in business, we just kind of throw everything out there and try to like sell something. We assume what people want. We assume that everyone's the same, especially in today's day and age where I have like third-party cookies. I have all this information about people without actually needing to interact with them. I just think that's it's such an important step that gets forgotten about. Listen to rehumanize. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that stems from the idea of um, how can you understand your customers' stories and how can you then relay those stories back to potential customers in such a way that um, 
that it does make your organization more human. So let me let me start with what I think is one of the worst things an e-commerce company can do. And that is rely heavily on stock photographs, which I call visual gobbledygook. And and also big, big um, $10 words, which I call verbal gobbledygook. So the worst thing I see is when an e-commerce company uses stock photos, pretty pictures of people, pretty pictures of of, of, of generic um, countryside, and they use that to represent their brand in some way, or worse, represent their product in some way. It's just, it doesn't work because people instantly see through stock photos. Um, and the other thing they do is they use flowery language and say how, um, how wonderful their best of breed, cutting edge, um, innovative, um, uh, you know, headphone technology is. Uh, and, and people see through that as well. They don't want to hear that you have best of breed, innovative, um, cutting edge headphone technology. They want to relate to the people who made that headphone in a human way or the people who use that headphone in a human way. And they don't want to see a random picture of some woman, you know, who, who looks like a model with a smile on her face in some stock photo image. Um, they want to relate to real people. Um, one of the organizations, and this was a story in the book um, that I really love, one of the, the organizations I think have done a super job with that is MeUndies. Um, they have an e-commerce, um, I think it's super cool, subscription underpants business, although, of course, you can buy one off underwear, um, but they have a subscription model as well. And I've been a subscriber for a few years. I have way too many pairs of underwear right now. And I know that's more information than you need to know, but (laughs) um, because they've done such a good job, I've overspent on my underwear. My underwear budget is uh, is way, way over for the past few years. But they rely on their customers to tell the story for them in a number of different interesting ways. They have a super popular Instagram feed and um, they're constantly looking for people who show off their underwear. I mean, um, people take photos of themselves or themselves with their friends or themselves with their significant others um, and post those photos on social media or take short videos and post those on social media. And MeUndies is always looking for those and they celebrate that. And it's really awesome because the humanity comes alive in a way that simply doesn't happen when you relate to stock photos. And, and the, the people that they use are such that practically anybody can see somebody like themselves in those images. And, um, and I, think, I just think it's a, they've done a wonderful job and their, um, their motto is fabulous. And I don't, I don't know what number they're up to now, but last time I looked, I think it was 11. 11 million happy butts and going strong. <laughs> um, that, that's a great and, line. And, and that's, that's interesting to me because that's in a commodity business. You know, people would people, although there is, of course, the, the fashion element of, of underwear, um, but for most people, Underwear is a commodity. You know, you buy it when it, you buy new ones when they have holes in them. 
where, and of course there's a subset where it's very much a fashion statement, but um, MeUndies has, have managed to make it into more of a fandom-based product where people love it and they're a fan of the company and they love it so much that they get a new pair every single month. Building the fandom around that. And I think the big takeaway there is like the imagery, the the text, like how, what, how you talk about your product, it needs to be in the customer's language. If you're building a fanocracy and you're building fandom around something, you can't use your language and like other people's image, other people's language. You need to figure out what that is from your customer. And me undies using social to get like the words and the images and like who's using this directly from the customer. And I think it's just something that not enough brands are doing is a lot of people will say like, Alex, how do I figure this out? Well, have you gotten on the phone and talked to like some of your best customers? Have you emailed them? Well, no. I think that's just the best place to start is just start the conversation up with some of your best customers and start to speak and talk and behave more like they do. That's important. And the other thing is how, how and why would somebody share about your company and about your products? Always be thinking about that. Um, uh, uh, because the best thing you can ever get is people who are willing to share how much they love what you do, how much they love their, their in my case, how much they love their underwear. Um, and, and that's rare. You know, what, what, what many e-commerce brands do is kind of the opposite. They say, what influencer can I pay yep. to, talk about, to, to talk about me? And, um, and, and I think that, I mean, you know, fine, an in influencer marketing can be a subset of, of, your, of your efforts, but how much better is it if a real customer wants to talk about you and does so without you even knowing it until you see that pop up because they've tagged you or because you found it in a, in a search, that's the ultimate. Whereas, you know, paying somebody fine, why not do, be so great that people are eager to, um, to want to share uh, how much they love what you do? So, so how can you think about your brand in such a way that you're figuring out ways to, um, to, to either do what you do so well that people are eager to share or in some way set up a, a mechanism for them to want to share. Um, and uh, another example that comes to mind, which also happens to be an example of the, in the book, is, um, and this comes from another one of the chapters, which is um, give, um, give more than you have to. The idea of this is that the more you give to the universe, the more you end up getting back. And so I know it's a little bit of an airy-fairy concept coming from someone who's seen 75 Grateful Dead concerts, but, but, it really, but it really is an important thing to do because, and I actually figured this out initially from the Grateful Dead because they were the only band um, going back um, decades that allowed fans to record their concerts. Now, I didn't record concerts, but I was able to listen to... Um, you know, hundreds of, in the early days, there were cassette tapes and then later on um, files, listened to, you know, hundreds of Grateful Dead shows that had been recorded by people, by, by fans. And then fans are eager to share that 
um, those recordings. And the, the band said, sure, that's fine. We're happy to have you do that. You can't sell the recordings, but as long as you're giving them away or using them for yourself, that's totally cool. And it actually, in, in, in the, the 1990s, they became the most popular touring band in the world um, because of this uh, effort. So one of the people that we interviewed um, was um, uh, another e-commerce brand, um, although they're famous for selling in many other ways, which is uh, Duracell batteries. And uh, we spoke with Ramon Bellantini, who's the vice president of marketing for Duracell. And they have this super cool program called Power Forward. And Power Forward provides um, batteries to people who are victims of natural disasters, hurricanes, floods, tornadoes, um, uh, that kind of thing. When, and, and when pow the power goes out because of a natural disaster, People, people are in trouble. My, my gosh, I, I can't power my smartphone. I can't power my flashlight. I can't listen to the radio to find out what's going on. And, um, and so Duracell goes to these places. They have actually a fleet of trucks that go to these places and give out no, no questions asked, absolutely free. You don't have to fill out a form. You don't have to give your email address. Free batteries. Here you go. Here's your batteries. What size do you need? Um, Ds, here you go. Uh, I need AAAs. Here you go. Um, and people absolutely love it. And an and, and update to the book, um, because the book came out in January of 2020, is that they've given away over 10 million batteries to first responders and healthcare workers during covid because many times um, there were battery shortages. Many times um, those, especially first re responders like fire departments and EMTs were running out of money um, and they, um, they gave away 10 million batteries. Now, what does that do? Um, you know, why in the world would you give away your product when it's in the most demand? <laughs> you know, ba batteries are at a shortage. They're at a premium. You could, you could sell them for twice as much, but no, they gave them away. Um, and what it does is it builds fans. And those people, many, many of those people are going to then, for the rest of their lives, buy Duracell batteries. They have 6 million fans on their Facebook page. Can you imagine a battery company? There's nothing more commodity than battery. <laughs> and a, this battery company has 6 million fans. Last time I checked, it may, up, may, up, may, up, may be up to 7 million now. But every time they post, out, post about Power Forward, they get tons of people who say, thank you, thank you. My God, I, you know, I was part of um, Hurricane Maria and, 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 and we... Um, Ran out of power for three weeks, and the only thing that kept me going was the batteries you gave me that powered my flashlight. I love that. And their product away, but like this idea of give and like the universe will like help you out doesn't even necessarily, I don't think, need to be like a physical product. I'm thinking a lot of brands like give away um, your knowledge, give away content, give away something for free. I'm thinking like a supplements brand, like just having a blog of like free workout resources and things like this, where you can just help kind of build the fandom, fan the flames of why people care about your product and what's important to them. And I, I don't know, what are your thoughts on that? Does it need to be a physical product or can it be something else? You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, what, what we're doing right now is exactly that. You know, I'm, I'm, you're taking 45 minutes of your time, I'm taking 45 minutes of my time. Um, you know, it's a lot lot more than 45 minutes for you because you have to edit the episode and, and all the other things you have to do. For me, it's just sit here and pretend I'm smart. 
but um, but yeah, we're we're giving to the universe by doing this podcast, and um, you know, I don't I don't say I will only do this if you buy a hundred of my books. You know, I say, well, sure, we'll we'll get on a call, have a little chat, and I'm happy to do it. Um, and, and and I think that when it comes to digital content, one of the mistakes that I think a lot of people make uh, is that they they will put a gate in front of the content that they provide. So maybe um, it might be a company that sells cookware and they say, oh, we've got this wonderful um, ebook full of recipes that we want to give away for free. All you have to do is give us your email address, which I think is not in the spirit of Grateful Dead's um, give more than you have to. It's in this, that's more of a coercion technique. It's saying, I'm not going to give you my valuable stuff unless you give me something of value first. The thing you give me of value first is your, is your contact information. Then I will give you um, my, whatever it is, my ebook, my recipe book. Um, um, I'll let you listen to my podcast, whatever it might be. And, and so I think that's a really big difference. You truly have to give to the universe with absolutely no expectation of anything in return. You have to do this podcast with no expectation of anything in return. You have to give away, um, if you're a cookware e-commerce brand, your recipe books with no expectation of anything in return. If you're Duracell giving away 10 million batteries, it has to be with no expectation of anything in return. If you're, letting the, if you're the Grateful Dead letting people re- record your concerts, has to be with no expectation of anything in return. It is something that we'll do. Like the best example I think is into like my hair and styling my hair. And I found this channel and this company called Slick Hair and they had all these great hair tutorials on YouTube. And like, I never had to give them anything to use it, but like they were always using their products in the videos. They didn't have to ask me to buy anything. I just loved Hey, if I want hair that looks like that, and I should probably just use the product they're using because it's going to get me the same result. And it's so interesting um, about how that leads that way. I mean, in, in the last six months, I've been spending an inordinate amount of money on. I bought a new um, tricked-out Mercedes-Benz four x four camper van. It's on a Sprinter, the Sprinter chassis, and um, I mean it's ridiculously expensive and. Um, uh, I, I love this thing, you know, I can be off the grid for a week. It's got a toilet and a shower and a bed that retracts into the ceiling. And um, um, I've got a 21 gallon water tank. And so, of course, I've been, you know, Googling around and looking for things that I can put into the, into the van. You know, I've upgraded the sound system. I've got um, uh, I'm putting on a winch um, in the front. Um, I'm putting a new, a new spare tire rack on the back. You know, I'm, you know, it seems like every week I've found something to spend a thousand bucks on. And, and, and what are the, what are the brands that I'm doing business with? I'm doing business with the ones that educate me, that inform me, that aren't trying to sell to me, that have a, a great YouTube channel that provide advice on, you know, what's the best way to go four wheeling in this massive 7,500 pound sprinter van. Oh, I'm going to watch three hours of videos on that. And the sponsor of that video is the one I'll consider if I want to buy new um, tires to make it uh, easier for me to go four wheeling. Um, And I, you know, I've spent 
thousands and thousands of dollars on the, with those companies, those e-commerce brands in the last couple months. Things and like for me, the same thing. It's like my backyard and I'm looking up like decks and flower beds and like all these other things. And it's the same thing. I'm buying from all the companies that are going to educate me and like help me figure out my problems. They're giving away that value for free and I repay them with my dollars. Right. You hit on in this book and I feel like a lot of people miss it. And that's developing your employees as fans. So we talk a lot about like building a fandom of customers, but talk to me a bit about developing employee fans. Super interesting uh, because um, one of the most interesting things we learned, which was very surprising to my daughter and I as we were writing this book, Fanocracy, is the importance of passion. Um, Because when people are passionate, that passion becomes infectious. (laughs) So, you know, if you're passionate about what you do, if you're passionate about the customers you serve, Um, If you're passionate about the things you love, it means you're a better employee. And so there's a number of different elements to unpack on this idea of of developing employees who are fans. But one of the most fundamental things is that you want to cultivate people who are eager to work for you, who are eager to go to work every day, who love, love working with you. And so part of that goes from the management style of uh, of how um, you treat your employees. And, um, you know, the, the, one of the examples we share is this company called HubSpot. I've been actually been on their advisory board since 2007. There are uh, uh, many people in your world know HubSpot um, because a lot of e-commerce brands use them as their um, marketing and sales automation tool. Um, and, um, and when I joined HubSpot as an advisor in 2007, they had zero clients and zero revenue. Um, they just crossed $850 million in revenue. They have 100,000 clients. And, um, and Brian Halligan, who's a good friend of mine, is the CEO of HubSpot. He's, he basically doesn't have any rules for employees. His rule is do the right thing. There's no vacation policy. The vacation policy is take as much vacation as you need. Um, and so what he's, what he's saying to employees is I trust you. The other thing is that employees are encouraged to showcase the things they love. I'm, you know, talking, I talked about Reiko earlier, my daughter and wearing uh, a pin or a, you know, a mask that has a Boston Bruins logo on it or whatever. Showcasing the things you love at work is really interesting. And, you know, Brian will say to me that, you know, I've got employees who do all kinds of weird, weird and wonderful things on their, on their personal time. And if they want to bring that into work somehow, that's totally cool. If there's someone who's, who's, who's um, training to run a marathon and they need to take every afternoon at three o'clock off for three months, that's fine. That's great. Let them do that. Um, and it turns out that when you encourage employees in that way, they absolutely love to work for you. And that passion then is infectious with customers and customers are attracted to that brand. Now, what's cool about HubSpot, just to to use some data, is that in 2020, last year, they were rated the number one company to work for in the entire United States on Glassdoor, and those ratings are by employees. So Brian set out to build a, co- a company that the employees would love to work work at. And the way he did that is is to 
is to trust employees to be radically transparent, to let them do the things they love on their downtime, to not tell them when they can take vacation, when they can't, all of these various things. And, um, and that led to people loving to work there so much that they, um, um, that they the employees, rated that uh, HubSpot the number one company to work for in all of the United States. And they're crushing it from the perspective of their business going from zero to $850 million in revenue from 2007 to 2021. Interesting. And again, they're passionate and like they can start to build like fandom of something, even if it's a fandom of the company they represent, that becomes infectious with all of your customers. So think about like your customer experience team interfacing with the customer every day. If they're a fan, it's infectious. They're going to create more fans with every interaction that they create. Great place to wrap, David. And just to quickly summarize what we're talking about there, like make sure you're into what you're doing. Speak to your customers in the language that they speak. Show them visuals that they're going to identify with. Your brand and your product is really for them. Ambassadors and advocates are another. Don't get those two things confused. And making sure that you are using your employees to build your fandom as well. It can be infectious out into your customer base. And before I let you go here, David, is there somewhere where people listening can interact with you, follow you on Twitter, LinkedIn, a blog maybe? If you want more information about the book we've been discussing, it's um, Fanocracy. Go to fanocracy.com and a bunch of stuff you can check out there and download and and some videos and whatnot. Um, On Twitter, I am DM Scott, D-M-S-C-O-T-T. My full name, David Meerman, M-E-E-R-M-A-N. Scott, I'm the only one on the planet, so Google me and you will find me. Taking the time today, David, this was an amazing conversation. That's been The Exchange, presented by Loop, the returns platform for Shopify. Thanks for listening.